In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the last chapter from the Gospel of St. Matthew, and this chapter actually discusses two main points. The first point, the circumstances of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the second point, the details of the Great Commission. Commission when the Lord sent the disciples. We call this, the, before his ascension, when he said to the disciples, we call it the Great Commission. Uh, the chapter we can classify into three sections. The first ten verses, uh, our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week and appeared first to the two Marys, giving them instructions for the disciples to meet him in Galilee. This is from verse 10, 1 to 10. From verse 11 to 15, uh, the chief priests and the elders bribed the soldiers to say that the disciples stole the body, to conceal the fact of the resurrection. Then the last part of the chapter, when the disciples met the Lord Jesus Christ in Galilee, he charged them to go and make disciples of all the nations. That's what we call the Great Commission. So let's start from verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Uh, the day of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ was on the Jewish feast of first fruits. This Sunday is considered the Jewish feast of the first fruits. If you read about this feast in Leviticus chapter 23 from verse 9 to verse 13, you will find that after the holy week of the unleavened bread, and after the Passover and the unleavened bread, then the first day after the Sabbath is the feast of the first fruit. So Jesus Christ rose on the first day uh, of the feast of the first fruit. Uh, and this feast was one of the three feasts that God instructed the Jewish people to observe them. So it was designated a continuous feast to be observed for all generations by the Israelites. According to the Jewish calendar, the day ends not at 12 midnight, but the day ends at sunset. And un until now, in the church, the church calendar, the day ends at sunset. Then the day begins with darkness and endless light. Be not the opposite, not end, start with light and end by darkness. If you read Genesis chapter 1, you will find each day it says, and it was evening, and it was the day of the first day. 
it was evening and it was the day of the second day, etc. So our journey actually started in darkness and ended in the light, not the opposite. Not the opposite. So the Sabbath, Jesus died on Friday, crucified and died on Friday. Sabbath ended at sunset. Then Sunday actually started, you know, at sunset of Sabbath. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, was in the tomb from Friday because he gave up his uh, human soul on the ninth hour, 3 p.m. of Friday. So the Lord was buried Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Friday night, Friday, uh, uh, Friday night to Saturday, to Sunday until Sunday morning. Uh, so we can say, and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, rose on the third day. And according to the Jewish calendar or calculation, they consider part of the day like a full day. So the Lord was buried part of Friday, the whole Saturday, and part of Sunday. That's why we can say three days and three nights. The first day is Sunday, which is the Lord's Day. And here happened a switch. In the Old Testament, the Lord's Day was the Sabbath. Sabbath which was Saturday. Sabbath in Hebrew means rest, because God rested on the seventh day. But if you read chapter uh, 4 from the letter of St. Paul to Hebrews, St. Paul spoke about what is the real day of rest. If it's a day in which God rested from all his work as creator? No, because the Bible spoke about another day. In the day of rest, when God led the Israelites into the promised land? No, that's what St. Paul mentioned in Hebrews 4. So what is the day of the rest? What is the real Sabbath? It is the day of our salvation. So. Sabbath in the Old Testament was a symbol of the true day of the rest, which is the day of resurrection. That's why in the New Church, in the New Testament Church, we celebrate Sunday as the day of the Lord. And in every divine liturgy, as you heard today, we say after the offering of the Lamb, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then we offer a baby. And this one of the Psalms. And by the way, in the liturgy of the resurrection, the psalm of the liturgy is, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, so, the Lord grows on Sunday uh, after he spent the Sabbath in the tomb. Uh, 
all the Gospels, the four Gospels, mark the precious moment when the great news of resurrection first became known. Not all the four Gospels recorded the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ was recorded in two Gospels, Matthew and Luke. Mark and John did not record uh, his birth. But the four Gospels recorded his resurrection. Mark chapter 16, Luke 24, John 20, and Matthew 28. The narrative in the four Gospels may differ, but there is no contradiction, because everybody was describing what happened from certain circumstances. But if we put all of them together, as we'll do today, we can understand even the order of events, what happened and how the Lord appeared. Uh, so there is no contradiction, although the narrative may differ in the four Gospels. Why Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb? You know, they used to put spices and perfumes on the body that's according to the Jewish tradition on the body of the deceased person but in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord gave up the ghost uh, or gave up the, his human soul on the third hour which is uh, sorry ninth hour which is 3 p.m. and sunset around 5 p.m. So they didn't have long time. So they took the Lord Jesus Christ and put some spices, but they did not put the perfumes that they prepared. Because, you know, once the Sabbath started, they cannot do anything because it is a day of rest. So the Marys went very early on Sunday morning to put perfume on the body of Christ to finish, you know, spicing his body because they were they couldn't do it on Friday. And here is I like to explain something in the rights of the church. Uh, on Good Friday, uh, some priests they add perfume on the icon of the burial beside the spices. And this is not right, because they could not put perfume on the body of Christ. They put only spices, because they were in hell to bury him before the beginning of the Sabbath. That's why the right way to do the burial on Good Friday is just to put spices and incense, but no perfumes. Because they couldn't put perfume, that's why the two Marys went early in the morning on Sunday to put perfumes on the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it, his countenance was like lightning, 
and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The Lord Jesus Christ rose by his own power while the tomb being yet shut. So the Lord came out of the tomb while the stone was in its place. So the angel did not remove the stone to afford a passage to the Lord Jesus Christ when he arose. Rather, the angel removed the stone to prepare the way for the women and the disciples and to show the soldiers that Christ was risen. So this earthquake that happened because the angel descended and the tradition we know this was Archangel Michael who descended, that is the angel of resurrection. He descended and rolled the stone and removed the stone and sat on it. He sat on the stone that the women might know that the stone was removed because they were thinking on their way who would remove the stone for us. And also he sat on the stone that they might not be terrified at the appearance of the soldiers. So when they see the angel, the angel will be like supporting them in front of the soldiers. For he exhorted them not to fear. He told them, don't fear, but to come and see. So he encouraged the women to go and look inside the tomb. And also to prevent the soldiers from putting in, in the tomb another body. And to mislead the people that Christ did not rise. And as we read in verse 3, his clothing was white as snow. White, a symbol of purity. If you remember in the Transfiguration, we read the same thing about the cloth of our Lord Jesus Christ. was white and glistening like snow. Also in the book of Revelation, we saw that the saints, the redeemed one, were walking in robes, uh, in white robes like snow. Uh, so, in the four Gospels, each evangelist's account of resurrection emphasizes different particulars. St. Matthew notes the outward glory of the angel, the earthquake, the action of the angel that he said on the stone, and the inability of the soldiers and priestly power to crush the new faith. So these are the particulars that St. Matthew emphasizes. The outward glory of the angel, the earthquake, the sitting on the stone, angel sitting on the stone, the inability of the military and priestly power to crush the new phase of resurrection. The appearance of the angel was sudden and unexpected. That's why we read in verse 4, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They did not expect to see an angel. And also the stone was removed suddenly. 
I cannot imagine the stone was pushing the stone, uh, the angel pushing the stone little by little. By his power, the stone was removed suddenly with the earthquake. So, can you imagine the God sitting there, all of a sudden, earthquake, stones removed suddenly, angel appeared with glory, his clothes shining and glistening like snow. So, they became so frightened. So, they heard the noise of the earthquake, they saw the light of the angel and his sudden appearance, that's why they were frightened. And here there is a message. The angels were source of comfort to the women, but they were source of fear to the gods. So God can be one, God can by one and same means comfort his servants and terrifies his enemies. In the same way, we can say the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a source of terror to the sinners, unrepentant sinners, but also a source of consolation to the children of God. Because as we read in John chapter 5, everybody will be raised, but the sinners, the unrepentant sinners, will be raised to the resurrection of damnation, resurrection of everlasting suffering and shame. But the righteous will rise the resurrection of life, resurrection of eternal glory and joy. Uh, verse 5, But the angel answered, answered, and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him Behold, I have told you. Apparently, the, the women asked the angel some question. That's why St. Matthew said, but the angel answered and said, We don't know what are the words spoken by the women, but the words which they now heard were an answer to their maybe unuttered question or fears. We are not sure whether they ask a question or just their facial expression had many questions. But what's going on here? Where is Jesus? Uh, if we compare Matthew with Mark chapter 16, verse 6 to 7, we will find the two words of uh, the angel are the same. Luke added more. Luke added uh, a sentence by the angel when he said to the Marys, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And a more detailed reference to our Lord's prophecies of his resurrection. Uh, and until now, 
the women had not seen the Lord rise, but they were informed by the angels. Uh, and the angel told them, see the place where the Lord lay. And the, the angel did not say where your Lord lay, but he said where the Lord lay. Because the Lord is the Lord of angels as well as Lord of men. Now actually, some of us will try to ask, what are the order of events? Whether God appeared first to Mary Magdalene or to the two Marys, so what is the order of events? And the best solution of the questions uh, presented by a comparison of the Gospel narrative at this stage, that uh, Mary Magdalene ran eagerly to tell Peter and John, leaving the other Mary and Joan. So what happened? The four Ma uh, sorry, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and Joanna, as St. Luke said, went together and they saw the angels. Then Mary Magdalene left the other Mary and Joanna and went to tell Peter and John. Uh, then Mary Magdalene, Peter and John returned to the tomb. When God appeared to Mary Magdalene first, and then actually he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Uh, so the first appearance happened to Mary Magdalene as we read in John 20, chapter 14. Then to the other Marys, as we read in, in Matthew chapter 9. So again, let me explain what happened. The Marys with Joanna went to the tomb. They saw the angel. Then Mary Magdalene left quickly to tell Peter and John. Then Mary Magdalene, Peter and John returned back. And now the Lord appeared to Mary Magdalene. Gospel of John chapter 20, verse 14. After this appearance, he appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Matthew 28, verse 9. As we're going to read here, verse 8, So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Uh, so, uh, this appearance uh, happened after the first appearance to Mary Magdalene. Then, all of, of women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, and other Mary and Joanna, went to tell the message uh, to the disciples that Jesus rose from the dead and now go to Galilee to see him. As we read in verse 10, then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The disciples being Galileans, it was natural for them to return to Galilee after the festival week of Passover. So now the two Marys 
are on their way to tell the disciples to, uh, to go to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in Galilee. But the two Marys were privileged to meet Christ. And as we see here, they took hold of his feet and cast themselves or worshipped him before him. This gesture, of course, befitting the circumstances, because this was an unexpected meeting with one who was crucified, died, was buried. So uh, here, actually, when they saw Jesus, they could not hold themselves, so they held his feet and worshipped him. Many people, they ask why God said to Mary Magdalene, don't touch me. By the way, it's not don't touch me, don't cling to me. But hey, it's not don't touch me, it's don't cling to me. And here clearly from Matthew 28 verse 9, they touched him. They held his feet. So don't cling means uh, don't stay with me. Go tell the disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. Cling so don't just stay with me here because they were happy they don't want to leave the Lord Jesus Christ so the Lord of them don't cling to me you have a mission go they tell the disciples to go to Galilee because I did not ascend there I, I, I'm staying with you here uh, and it was impossible for the two Marys when the soul, they saw the Lord Jesus Christ to resume the old familiar relationship as if nothing had happened. No, Jesus died, was crucified, died, was buried, and now he rose from the dead. That's why the way they greeted him was different when they held his feet and worshipped him. Uh, so the instruction to the women simply repeated in much the same words those given by the angels the Archangel Michael because Archangel Michael told them go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and indeed he is going before you into Galilee and the Lord Jesus Christ repeated the same words but one difference between what Archangel Michael said and what the Lord said Archangel Michael said Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell his disciples. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, Go and tell my brethren. In verse 10, Go and tell my brethren. And by the way, this is the first time our Lord called his disciples by this name, my brethren. Why? I'm sure that the disciples thought that the Lord would reproach them with their past weaknesses, their infidelity, how they ran and, and escaped and left him during the time of his crucifixion. But by calling them his brethren and speaking thus, he gave them full assurance in the most tender way that all what happened was forgotten, was forgiven, was buried forever. God will not reproach them about what happened during the time of crucifixion. 
So this appearance in Matthew is considered the second appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here I like to review with you the appearance. There are five appearances on the day of resurrection. In order, I will explain to them in order. The first one to Mary Magdalene near Jerusalem. This one was recorded in John chapter 20, verse 11 to 18, and in Mark chapter 16, verse 9. Then to the women, that is the one who just read it here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 9 and 10. Then he appeared to Simon Peter alone. Luke 24, 34. Why to Simon Peter alone? Because Simon Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm sure maybe he was the, the most terrified person to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. So in a special appearance, the Lord appeared to him to assure him, you're forgiven. Go and meet with the rest of the disciples. Meet me in Galilee. Then he met the two disciples going to Amwas in Luke 24, 13. Then he appeared to all the apostles in Jerusalem except Thomas. Because Thomas was absent. So these five appearances happened on the day of resurrection. Mary Magdalene, the women, Simon Peter, two disciples going to Amwas, all the apostles except Thomas. So all these were on the same day of resurrection. Then there is, we have a record of 12 appearances, five of them on the day of resurrection. Then what are other appearances? To the apostles at Jerusalem a second time when Thomas was present, one week after Thomas' son. Another appearance at the Sea of Tiberias when seven disciples were fishing, John chapter 21, verse 1. Then he appeared to the eleven disciples on the mountain in Galilee. He told them, go to Galilee where I appear you. This appearance in Matthew 28, verse 16, which we will speak about today. Then he appeared to 500 brethren at once in Galilee, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. Also he appeared to James only, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. Then he appeared to all the apostles on the Mount Olive at his ascension. Luke 24, 15. After his ascension, he was seen by St. Paul on the road to Damascus and by, the Lord, by, by John the theologian on Patmos. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 for St. Paul, Revelation 1, verse 13 by John the theologian. So these are 11 appearances and the 12th one after his ascension. Verse 11, Now while they were going to the disciples, behold, the thumb of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ear, governor here, Pontius Pilate, 
If this comes to the governor's ear, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. So some of the guards went to the chief priests while the women went on their way to tell the brethren that Jesus is risen. And it's clear that the elders and the chief priests is still persisting in their malice. They wished to persuade the world that Jesus was not risen. And now they are giving a large sum of money to support their falsehood. And this money actually, from where they got the money? It's from the donation the people gave to the temple. Though they took the money of the temple and gave it to the soldiers in order to persuade the world that Jesus did not rise. As he offered before 30 pieces of silver to Judas in order to betray his master, now they offer a great sum of money to suppress the truth of resurrection. This truth which is useful and necessary to all people. And it appears that the chief priests themselves were fully convinced of the resurrection. Otherwise they would not have bribed the soldiers to say no, the disciples told him. Actually, if they doubted the resurrection, they would have accused the soldiers of neglect of duty. But it's clear that the chief priests believed in the resurrection. Otherwise, why they bribed the soldiers with large amount of money? So here I will give you some evidences that the story of stealing his body is false. And the logic cannot accept it. Because number one, the soldiers would not dare to go to sleep unguarded. It was death for them according to the Roman military uh, laws. So if they are on guard and they slept, the punishment was death. So how come they will go and say, we, we slept? And if they had gone to sleep, they could testify nothing of what was done while asleep. If I'm asleep, how would I know that the body was stolen? So that's another lie. Number three, could they be so sound asleep, deeply asleep, as not to awake with all the noise and earthquake which must be necessarily made by removing a great stone and taking away the body? So what kind of sleep is this? So they remove a huge stone and take the body and they are, all the guards are asleep. Also, the disciples did not expect a resurrection. Actually, some of the disciples, as we're going to read today, some of them, after they saw the Lord Jesus Christ, they doubted the resurrection. And the disciples actually were weak and afraid 
and would not have dared to take his body away. And let me assume that they were courageous enough to steal his body. And the Roman soldiers were as, uh, asleep. How they remove the stone and carry the body without any detection. And people who are stealing the body, they will not wrap the linen clothes and put it in its place and the handkerchief on the head and put it in its place. Also, we should not forget that the Passover was on the 14th of the lunar month, which means this night was lighted with full moon and all the environment of Jerusalem was crowded with people attending the Passover. So removing the stone and stealing a body and, and carrying the body of Jesus will not be something undetectable. Uh, so it is not likely at all that the disciples could have time sufficient to steal his body and to come and to return without being seen by any person. And the last point, if the soldiers were asleep, how could they possibly know that it was the disciples that stole the body, maybe somebody else? Or indeed that any person uh, or persons stole him? How they were able to say the disciples? So if they were asleep, they couldn't see who stole the body. So actually, from their own testimony, therefore the resurrection is fully proved. Because this testimony is against logic. And the, the, the elders, they said to uh, the disciples, if the governor knew. But Pontius Pilate had taken so little interest in the matter. Because they left the high priests to watch the, the, the tomb by themselves, to guard it by themselves, and to appoint guards. So it was not likely it would come to his ear. Uh, and actually, Pontius Pilate spent a few days in Jerusalem, then he returned back to Caesarea. That's why he wouldn't hear about it. Uh, verse 15, so they took the money and did as they were instructed, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Verse 15 states that the soldiers did as instructed. So originating a theft theory, which according to St. Matthew was current in his day in Jewish uh, circles and Jewish culture at the time he wrote his gospel. So St. Matthew explaining the story or the theft theory, he was explaining here it was false. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. But when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted means it is not only Thomas who doubted, but more than one of the disciples doubted his resurrection.
So the eleven went into Galilee because the Lord had commanded them to do so. The Lord had named the mountain where he should meet them and had probably also appointed the time. They worshipped him means they fell face down at his feet. This act, worshipping him, as had been said, was not new in itself. But what was new here? It seems certain that our Lord manifestation of his presence after resurrection had made the, the faith of the disciples stronger and clearer that he is God in the flesh. So the act acquired a new significance here because now they are worshiping him with confidence that he is God who became man. But some of them doubted. And Matthew mentions that some doubted, showed that they were honest men. And they were not easily imposed on that. They were not easily imposed on that they had not previously agreed to affirm that he had risen. So if they doubted, this means the they have to be convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Not anybody can impose on them a theory, Jesus rose, and they will believe it. No, they question it until they were very, very sure that Jesus rose from the dead. And they were convinced only by the strength of the evidence, because they were eyewitnesses. They saw him, and Thomas touched him. Here, actually, their caution in examining the evidence, their slowness to believe, they did not believe quickly in his resurrection, their firm conviction after all their doubts, and their willingness to show their conviction even by their death and martyrdom, all of that is most conclusive proof that they were not deceived in regard of the fact of resurrection. Because they did not believe it quickly, they were very careful in examining the evidence, and uh, now they are convicted that he rose after the doubt, to the extent they shed their blood and died for this fact, Jesus rose from the dead. So this actually means that his resurrection is true, and not just a theory. Uh, verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Here God starts by saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Here Jesus, the Son of God, as our Creator, had 
as creator, he had original right to all things, to control them and dispose of them. But what is new here when he said, all authority has been given to me? Because as creator, he had this authority. But what is new here? Is there something new here? Yes. Now, the universe is put under him more particularly as a mediator in order to redeem his people, in order to gather a church and to establish a church, in order to defend his chosen ones, in order to subdue all his enemies, in order to make us conquerors and more than conquerors. So now, after his resurrection, as a mediator, God sent his son to redeem us, to establish a church, to defend us, to subdue all the enemies of God, and to make us conquerors and more than conquerors. As we read in Ephesians chapter 1, 20 to 23, 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 27, John 5, 22 to 23, and Philippians 2, uh, verse 6 to 11. That's what he meant. All authority have given to me on earth and on heaven. So it is in reference to this that he speaks here power or authority committed to him over all things that he might redeem, defend, save the church purchased by his own blood. That is the authority that he is talking about here. Then the Great Commission, verse 19 and 20. The first part of the commission commands making the disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. And he told them how to make disciples. And we differentiate between disciples, pupils, and students. Disciple by discipline. Pupil, just they are passive learner. Students, they study. But in Christianity, we are not pupils, we are not just passive learners, we are not students, we are not just studying and doing a research, but we are disciples. We are disciplined by the Holy Spirit and by our spiritual fathers. Yes, being disciplined includes passive learning and studying, but does not stop at a pupil level or at a student level. That's why the Lord told them, go and make disciples. And make disciples of all the nations, not the Jews only, but all nations, Gentiles are included. Because the Lord Jesus Christ came to be Savior of the whole world. And baptizing them in the name of the Holy Trinity, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, rebirth through water and Spirit in Christian baptism is the means the Lord Jesus Christ has given for entrance into the community of the New Covenant. In order to enter into this New Covenant, in order to be a member in the Church of the New Testament, through baptism, we are born again, 
in the body of Christ through baptism. In the sacrament of baptism, the baptized person is configured to the risen Savior and incorporated into the body of Christ, which is his church. And the formula that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to for the sacrament of baptism defines the Trinity. Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And designates baptism as the union of the one baptized with the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now actually I am in union with God, the Holy Trinity, the Triune God. Then the second part in verse 20, teaching them. Here baptism is linked to teaching the newly baptized. Teach them what? To observe all things that I have commanded you. So after baptism, the godparents, the church, the parents are responsible to teach the baptized person with all the commandments of the Lord. So the second part of the Great Commission provides for the instruction of the disciples in righteousness. Teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This is to be done by teaching. So we are to teach all things that he has commanded. We as clergy, as Sun school servants, as parents, as godparents, we are instructed to teach the commandment of the Lord. Then the Lord told them, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The name Emmanuel means God is with us. God promised us to be with us. And here in the Mount of Galilee, God said to them, I will be with you all the days. I am with you always, even to the end of age. It's also the promise of his real but invisible presence in Eucharist. Behold, as we say in the fraction, today on this altar we have Emmanuel our God. So this is real but invisible presence in the Eucharist from the time of his ascension until his return at the end of the age. And as we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, the Lord Jesus Christ taught the disciples, taught the church for 40 days prior to his ascension to the Father. And during these 40 days was appearing and disappearing at them. This actually concludes uh, the chapter, and this concludes also the Gospel of St. Matthew. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.